morning, Eastside family. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to let our children and junior worship go there now. And if you are new here and you have kids ages 3 through 3rd grade, just follow the crowd that's going in that direction. Sure glad to have Jason here this morning. He wanted me to let you guys know that... Um, Probably, I guess, after the service, he's going to be out here at a booth. And if you'd like to talk to him more about Mercy's Gate, or especially if you know somebody that has a particular, that has a particular need over the holidays or in whatever type of need, um, he has some resources actually to give to you. So I certainly want to encourage you to go in and talk to him. I want to mention to you what we're doing on Wednesday nights right now. Our church... My, my understanding is that we've been through a lot here over the past however many years, 30 some odd years or more. A lot of people have been hurt and have just left. A lot of people are hurt but still here. A lot of people are hurt and come back. They struggle to shake themselves of that hurt and struggle to see and hear and feel without seeing and feeling and hearing through the filter of that hurt. It hurts the church. It can happen in the family, too, that we just really struggle when we've been hurt by someone to, to let it go. And all of a sudden, that hurt in our family and our relationships and our church is something that Satan gets a hold of. And it can become what John Bevere in his book calls the bait of Satan to take us captive. And it can destroy our lives. It can divide a church. It can hurt a church. And so on Wednesday nights... We're looking through it. We're going through a series, a video series and discussion on what's called the bait of Satan. And I want to encourage you to come and be a part of that, to be aware of, of this bait and, and to learn how you too can be free. We were quite full in our classroom. We were, were last um, Wednesday night. And so be looking in caramel and be looking for the signs to find out where it's going to be. This week, we had 75 people in a room that seats comfortably about 50. Obviously, there is a need. Matthew 5, verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God in our beatitude for today. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness... Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And with this one beatitude, Jesus felt the need to go a little bit further, unlike the rest of them. He said, let me explain that a little bit more. Verse 11, blessed, and this just sounds crazy. Listen to this. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There, there's a tendency in 
in, in uh, living creatures, whether it be animals or humans, that whenever we have a behavior that results in pain and discomfort, it leads us to conclude, I must be doing something wrong. And so there's a tendency to adjust my behavior to end the pain and suffering that I'm going through. My daughter has a, a device for her dog. His name is Buddy, and he kind of looks like this fellow on the left over here. He doesn't bark, he yaps and incessantly and it gets on your nerves. And so she bought this, this electric collar for him and it has with it a remote control device. And so whenever Buddy is barking, she just pushes the button on the electric, uh, on the remote control device and it shocks Buddy on the neck. And the, the whole idea is that you're kind of hoping that eventually every time he barks and you push the button, he feels pain and discomfort, then he'll stop and he'll realize, you know, maybe I should stop barking because every time I bark, it hurts. And so you're, you're working to influence his behavior, condition his behavior through, through pain and discomfort. If you have a, a dog that just keeps running out of the yard, and you want to keep him in the yard, well, what you do is you buy one of these invisible fences. Maybe you have one of these. And the dog's got a... a, a um, a collar that accompanies the fence. And so this fence emits some type of electrical current or, or waves of some type. And when the dog starts working his way outside the fence, all of a sudden he gets this incredible shock and he realizes, oh, I better stay inside the yard because if I go outside the yard, I'm going to experience pain and, and discomfort. And so you're working to, to influence his behavior, helping him realize you really ought to just stay in the yard. Because if you don't, you're going to be sorry. I believe the same principle is at play in influencing human behavior as well. In our fall series in the Beatitudes, and this is our last one today, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a step of faith we're taking here at Eastside of stepping out in faith towards a vision and a dream of, of a, a ministry of recovery of positioning ourselves to a larger degree to reach out to people in our community and people here in our church who are battling and struggling with not just addiction, but, but habits and hurts and hang-ups and, and, and just unhealthy behavior like, like, like I struggle with, like you struggle with. And so as I was looking at this particular beatitude in, in, in the framework of... of, of um, of recovery, I came to realize how much this gets to the root cause of some of the unhealthy behavior in our lives. And I came to realize, as I'm going to share with you, this was really what was at play years ago, which led to a lot of my junk. And, and, and to be honest with you, and I should, shouldn't I? It's still at play, working in my life. And I need this reminder to be careful not to allow myself to be influenced by the threat of persecution. And I say that word and we all disconnect because we're thinking, well, persecution, what are you talking about? There's no doubt in, in the world of the first century Christians, persecution was a real threat. Their, their secular and, and really sadly, their religious culture kind of had an established yard that you were supposed to stay in. That was very much in contrast to the confession and to the, 
to the lifestyle of Christianity. And so you step outside of the boundaries of, of the Roman religious cult and you confess Jesus as Lord uh, instead of Caesar, you're going to be shocked. You're going to experience pain and discomfort, persecution. You step outside of the boundaries of the established Jewish religious, established religion, which had wandered so far from God, and you be so bold as to confess Jesus Christ as the Messiah, you'll be sorry. You'll face discomfort and pain and persecution. One historian writes of the, of the persecution of the first century Christians, and I quote, all the world knows of the Christians who were flung to the lions or burned at the stake. But these were kindly deaths. Nero wrapped the Christians in pitch like, like he poured gas over them. And he lit them on fire so his gardens could be lit up at night for his parties. He would sew the Christians in the skins of wild animals and he set his hunting dogs upon them to tear them to death. They were tortured on the rack. They were scraped with pincers. Molten lead was poured hissing upon them. Red hot brass, brass plates were affixed to the tenderest parts of their bodies. Eyes were torn out. Parts of their bodies were cut off and roasted before their eyes. Their hands and feet were burned while cold water was poured over them to lengthen the agony. That's what happens when you step outside of the yard, of the boundaries. And so you can imagine the temptation and the tendency of the Christians to kind of think to themselves, Maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe I just need to stay here in this yard. Maybe I need to adjust my behavior. Maybe I need to change the way I speak and the way I live so as to avert or alleviate this, this rejection, this pain, this discomfort, this form of persecution. Does it really matter that I confess Jesus is Lord? Why not just make it easy and confess Caesar is Lord? And all of a sudden, you have Christians compromising what they know is right, what they know is true, and they're saying and doing things they thought they would never say and do, all for the sake of not being persecuted. And so their behavior is influenced and conditioned by the threat of facing pain and discomfort. And I think while we don't have the exact parallel of physical persecution like they did in the first century, I think our, our behavior is still influenced in similar ways. I really believe as we're looking at this ministry of recovery and all of the junk that we have and people have and all of our negative, unhealthy, sinful behavior, it's not that we get up in the morning and we say, this is the horrible way I want to live and this is the way I want to destroy my life and my family. Most normal people aren't driven in, in those ways. But our behavior comes out of a choice of, of a fear of being rejected, fear of not being loved, a fear of not being accepted, a fear of wanting to be valued, a fear of what others will say and think and do. And so all of a sudden you find yourself, you find yourself saying and doing things you thought you'd never say and do, not because you wanted to say and do these things, all because of this threat of, of persecution until all of a sudden you do that long enough and it becomes, it becomes who you are. And it can even lead to 
a place of bondage. So if you're going, what's he talking about? Let me give you a very simple illustration from my childhood that I think will explain this. I, I was taught at a very young age at home and at school, don't smoke cigarettes or you'll get cancer. And some of us remember, I don't know if they do this anymore, they show you the, the pictures of those lungs of people that smoke. And so I'm thinking, man, I don't want a charcoal looking like lung. I'm definitely not going to smoke. But the problem with that was um, among my peers, if you didn't smoke, you were uh, uncool, as we would say. You didn't really fit in. You weren't really accepted. So I thought, okay, I'll smoke. And so I, I tried my first cigarette all by myself because I didn't want to do it in front of anybody else. I've never done it before. And man, did I cough. It was horrendous and it was, I was choking. So how do you do this? And so I figured out the way you do this is you just don't inhale. So I smoked, but I didn't inhale. Until one day... I was in the parking lot of my high school. And this is crazy. You could get a permission slip from your parents and you could smoke as a high school student in the parking lot. My parents didn't give me a permission slip, but you got to be cool. I hung out in the parking lot and we're all smoking and we're in a circle and I'm not inhaling. And Bobby was standing right there. I can see his face. I remember this. He looked at me and he said, you're not inhaling. That's uncool, man. I'm serious. Everybody turned and looked at me like I was an alien, and I was so embarrassed. So I took that cigarette, took a drag on it, and I deeply inhaled. Oh, no, man, I'm inhaling. I'm cool. And I continued to smoke and to inhale. Listen to this. Listen, my fear of persecution... And I mean like my fear of being looked at as weird. My fear of being rejected. My fear of being made fun of. My fear of not having their approval. That was stronger than my fear of getting lung cancer and dying. That's crazy. And all of a sudden I found that I was doing what I swore I would never do until all of a sudden that which I had taken hold of had taken hold of me and it led to a bondage that by the time I was 20, I was smoking two packs of cool menthols, I think it was, a day. A girl can grow up in a Christian environment and she can be taught and, and she can learn and she can decide to, to keep herself sexually pure, to save herself for marriage. And though she may hold this as a conviction of what is right, as a conviction of this is what is God's will for my, for my life, her world around her says, that is nonsense. That is weird. That is not natural. That is odd. I know some of you may be even thinking, Eddie, that is nonsense. And it's really hard to be odd. It's really hard to be different. 
It's really hard to be Miss Goody Two-Shoes. And so she finds herself on a date or in a relationship with a guy, and all of a sudden she finds herself doing what she vowed she would never do, not because she wants to. She can't manage or handle or cope with the fact of being rejected, not being loved, of being criticized, not being valued being spoken of badly. And so she adjusts her behavior and her convictions so as to alleviate whatever pain and discomfort might come from that. And if she continues in that, it just it becomes her. And it can even lead to bondage. And I'm really not trying to hammer that or smoking. But it's an example of how Though these may not be your issues, so much of, of the stuff that we do, it's not stuff really even that we want to do. We know that it's not God's will for our life. But there's something at play, this aspect of disapproval, wanting approval. There's something at, at, at play of not wanting to be criticized, not wanting to be rejected, Wanting to, wanting to be seen as someone of value and worth. And so we stay within the boundaries of what others in our culture has defined of this is the way it should be. Adjusting our behavior in whatever way is necessary so as to not avoid pain and discomfort and rejection or as this beatitude calls it, persecution. And so... In contrast to this fear of ours and this aversion to persecution, Jesus says, blessed are you, <laughs> blessed are you who are persecuted because of righteousness. That pain and discomfort may not necessarily be a bad thing. It doesn't necessarily mean that something is wrong and you need to change if it's for righteousness. That's, that's really huge where Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted. I think the King James says for righteousness' sake. The NIV says for righteousness. It's important to understand that because there are some people who are going through pain and persecution and discomfort, but it's not for righteousness. It's just because their character invites it. I know a guy who would come up to me and he was in Christian ministry and he would talk to me about how he, he suffered pain and, and the persecution in ministry. But he was just mean. And he was condescending and arrogant towards those who disagreed with him. And so people didn't respond positively to him. His persecution was not for righteousness. It was for self-righteousness. So it's important that we be aware of that. But Jesus says, listen... If you're taking a stand for what is of God, and if you're living out the character of Jesus' light in this world, and that's resulting in insult and pain and discomfort, don't you dare change for a moment. Just because you're experiencing pain and discomfort, it doesn't mean something is wrong. It's very likely a sign that something in your life is right. And it's rubbing, rubbing, 
against the world that you live in. And though it just sounds absolutely absurd, Jesus says, in your persecution, you're blessed. But how is that? He says, in three ways. In your persecution, he says, you're blessed, number one, because you're in good company. You're in good company. As you ask yourself in the midst of it, you think, man, like, am I doing something wrong? Is there anybody else but me going through this? Jesus says, oh, you need to know they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're not the only one. Biblical and extra-biblical history tells us of thousands and thousands of people, including the prophets, who suffered because of the stand they took for their faith. You're not alone. Oh, 2 Timothy 3 12, listen to this, all, huge word, all, who desire to live a godly life. Let me ask you, are you living a godly life? If you are, you understand this. All who live, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's not saying if you stand up and speak out. No, it's just about the way you live. It gets on people's nerves. Proverbs chapter um, 29 says, Bloodthirsty men hate one who is godly, who is blameless, and the wicked seek his life. The life of a Christ follower, it irritates, it annoys, it brings anger. So the If it says all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted, then is it fair for me to ask, if you're not being persecuted, is it because you're not living a godly life? It's hard. And though it's hard and though it hurts, these words tell us you stand firm as a follower of Jesus. Don't you adjust your behavior. You are in good company you stand among great heroes and a hero by definition is one who stands with courage for God and God's will in their lives in the midst of that which is very painful and uncomfortable Jesus says in persecution you're blessed for you're in good company secondly you're blessed because you identify with me meaning you identify with Jesus he says here he's speaking of persecution he says because of me John chapter 15 Jesus says these words, these words, if the world hates you, don't stop and go, oh, what's wrong with me then? I need to change. People hate me. Jesus says, no. If the world hates you, keep in mind, let me ask you, does, does the world hate you? Keep in mind, it hated me first. If you belong to the world, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own I've chosen you out of the world that's why the world hates you I continue to quote remember the words I spoke to you no servant is greater than his master if they persecuted me and they did they will persecute you in whatever pain and discomfort you're facing as a result of your life and your stand for God you need to know you're in good company And you identify with Jesus. It's a sign. (laughs) It's a painful sign that you're on the right path. To the contrary, if the world loves you as its own and your life is void of any pain and hurt that would come from following Jesus, then the question is, 
are you really following Jesus? Or has Jesus in your life become redefined? Light repels, irritates, and annoys darkness. Don't dim your light. Let your light penetrate the world of darkness. And in doing so, you identify with Jesus. And finally, he says, thirdly, in your persecution, you're blessed. You're in good company. You identify with Jesus. And thirdly, he says, great is your reward in heaven. Later on, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and this is the intro to it, in the Beatitudes, he's going to speak of the broad path and the narrow path. And he speaks of the broad path. That's the path of the majority of people in this world. And he speaks of the narrow path. That's the path of the followers of Jesus, the path of the minority who choose to live for God. And though it's, it's so hard to, to swim against the current of everyone else, and it's so, so hard to be odd and different, than the majority of others in the world, Jesus reminds us that the broad path of the majority leads to death and destruction. Don't be fooled. But the path of the minority, though it's painful, though it leads to discomfort, ultimately it leads to life. Great is your reward in heaven. Whatever you do, don't redirect the course of your life. Don't readjust your behavior for the sake of comfort and ease. For in doing so, you'll become somebody you never thought you would become. You would never be. And you can find yourself in all kinds of craziness and unhealthy behavior leading to a path of destruction. This is telling us, let the hope of heaven before you give you courage and endurance to withstand whatever hardships you suffer due to your faith. I'm afraid that I, <laughs> could I include you? I'm afraid that we are probably more like the dog with the electric collar than we care to admit. Having learned to, to no longer bark because it hurts, having learned to adjust our behavior to stay in the yard. It's my struggle. It's our struggle. It's the struggle of our, our church. Not to be wanted, not to be, I don't want, we don't want to be branded as a, a fanatic to be seen as odd and different, intolerant and judgmental and, and hateful. We want to fit in. I, 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 I want to be loved by my neighbors, by my family members, and by you, and by those there. We as a church want to be relevant to the world, but this can lead to the point that we allow our voice to be silenced in our confession in our proclamation of Jesus Christ as Lord. And we can allow our voice to be silenced in what is true, in what is moral, in what is right. And that we allow our lives and our behavior to be controlled and to be confined by the wants and the ways and the wishes of others. 
in our world so as not to face pain and discomfort, disapproval and rejection. Then all of a sudden as individuals and as a church, we become something God never intended for us to be. As he's called us to be his holy people, light of the world. May we hear and receive these words of Jesus today for the sake of righteousness. Sounds odd. It really does. Choose persecution. It's the eighth and final of life's healing choices. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Bow with me, please, and let's pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do what I cannot do and take these words that I've spoken of in general and individualize them and personalize them and help each one of us to understand how this speaks to each one of us. Oh, Father, thank you for these beautiful words of wisdom and the Beatitudes. Thank you for the power of, and the difficulty and the beauty of, of, of this final Beatitude. Instill in us hearts of courage to stand for you and to allow you and your will be that which, which guides our life, that we may shine brightly into this world of darkness the light of Jesus. Amen. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m., as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.